Welcome to the Schuster Center podcast. I am Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of the Schuster Center, and I am live on location at the Hermosa Inn in Paradise Valley, Arizona, where we are having our Transitions and Life Planning course. And I am so lucky here to have Dr. Gabriel Overholzer. Thank you, Michael. It's a real pleasure to be here. Anytime you're involved, there's just some something amazing that's going to happen. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Tell us, uh, tell the listeners where your practice is. I practice in Bishop, California. It's a pretty quaint rural town right next to a, a major ski resort in Mammoth Lakes. Okay. And how long have you been there? Eight years. Okay. And uh, so you're pretty young in dentistry. You're still in the first decade. And I know your story. No, you know, the other people listening to this probably don't, but I know your story. And you've already had like a lifetime of dentistry in those eight years. I've been really blessed. That's for sure. You really have. You've, you've got a Cinderella story and it's, it's just amazing to think of where you are right now and, and what career you're going to have ahead for you. Uh, but why don't we rewind this tape and let's start at the very beginning with why'd you get into dentistry in the first place? You know, I grew up uh, doing construction and I just realized that I was fairly good at with my hands and I wanted to work with people. So I started to work with a local dentist and he allowed me to shadow him for about a thousand hours. And what I realized was the relationship side of dentistry was much more profound than what was happening with your hands. So what kind of dentistry did he do? Well, looking back on it, uh, you know, it's what we would call level one or two dentistry. You know, he had a lot of unique offerings, but it was mainly single tooth type of dentistry. Mm hmm. So what, what was the relationship piece you saw then in that, that you thought, well, this is more than just teeth? You know, he just wanted to make his patients comfortable. That's mm -hmm. something really important for him. So you, you saw the caring side of dentistry. Absolutely. Yeah. And had you thought about any other uh, professions or it was just that I can, I can, you knew the, that you had the capacity to be more than just in construction? I mean, what would you say? Well, actually, I graduated uh, magna cum laude with a degree in chemistry and uh, got a few internships and tried to pursue that. I realized that wasn't going to work for me because I needed more interaction with people. Mm -hmm. So I started getting a bunch of interviews uh, with pharmacy schools, and it was at that moment when I started seriously considering dentistry. They asked me, what would you do if you didn't get into pharmacy school? So I had to actually think about that. Mm -hmm. So you end up uh, applying to dental school, and where'd you go? I went to Loma Linda University, which was a, a wonderful experience. They're, they have a large uh, priority on just treating the entire person. Really? And how, does that, how, do, how do they do that? Well, they try and work with uh, the person as an individual, recognizing their humanistic needs. Uh, they have a strong emphasis on spirituality. So um, many of the practitioners who come out of Loma Linda are able to function, I think, at a higher level. That's incredible. I didn't know that. And I, we've got a very good friend of the Schuster Center and of the OBI community, Dr. Parnell Taylor at Loma Linda, and did you have interactions with him at all? I did. At, at Loma Linda, he was actually the, uh, the one of the scary ones that you stuck oh, really? to stay away from. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, 
you know, they, I think it was uh, maybe three years ago at the San Diego annual session of OBI. And uh, usually one of the nights we have a rooftop party, bring a DJ in, all these things. And Parnell walks up. I think it's his girlfriend, not his wife. Okay. But he comes walking up and he's got a jack, you know, jacket on. He looks like a professor. Right. Right. And, uh, and his hair is a little bit longer and sweeped over. And he, he just, he looks like uh, just an old movie star. Yeah, right? tweed jacket. Tweed jacket, yeah. 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 So he comes walking across, and I go over and talk to him for a little bit and come back. My wife goes, who is that? And I go, that's me in 30 years. You know, that's exactly what I'm going to look like. A pretty good chance. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, that's I think I'm right. going for it right now with the COVID style. So he was the scary one. I can't believe that. Well, he had high demands on, mm-hmm. on uh, people. So I didn't know that at the time, but he was helping them learn how to create their own Mago, their own orthotic. So every person that was in his personal clinical group had to develop a Mago, learn how to adjust it. And for those of you uh, who aren't aware of what Mago stands for, it's maxillary anterior guided orthotic or orthosis. And uh, at Bioaesthetics, we call it the B-Mago, the Bioaesthetic Mago. Um, there are a lot of other splints made of a lot of different materials, but this one is unique in the way that it's used and adjusted. So you want to talk a little bit about that while we're on the subject? Sure. I think you described it really well. Uh, You know, obviously we have some anterior guidance, but I think the distinguishing factor is how closely it's monitored and how we adjust it during people's progress. Right. Yeah, very good. Um, and the device is used to get a final diagnosis for, you know, chewing system issues. Um, it's adjusted over many weeks, sometimes months, depending on the health of the joints. But eventually stability happens. And then we can take a uh, several records to record that position of the heel joint or stable condylar position and then actually get a diagnosis of the chewing system and then begin to design or, or decide what type of treatment or courses of treatment may be needed to get that person back to health. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but you're like the expert in this. Well, the only part I was going to add to that really is the change in proprioception. That's the part that I find remarkable. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, they they feel the difference between where their teeth are hitting and how their jaw functions. You know, I think uh, John Coyce does the lecture on anterior guidance or the myth of anterior guidance. Okay. Because teeth really aren't supposed to be touching. Right. It's more like a glidance. They're really, uh, you know, I think I watched a video that you produced once where you can see how closely those canines approach each other, but they really don't touch each other. No, and that's where the proprioception comes from, is once that's restored, then the body is a protective anterior guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, when we lose that guidance, that's when we get the contact guidance. You know, we start to see the breakdown. So it is it is fascinating to help somebody, uh, you know, may get achieve stability, but then also all the things that come along with that. The change in the airway, the change in the face, change in the posture, and then it just cascades down the body. Absolutely. We have some great research out that shows uh, physical changes within the brain itself. Once you get people out of pain, the brain starts functioning differently. Yeah. So it's a whole body approach. And like I say on every episode, the teeth are the body. 
and they are the tip of the iceberg. It just so happens that's the body part we work on first. That's right. So it's pretty incredible. Now, you haven't, have you always practiced this way, or is that something that's, you know, more uh, recent? I would say it is more recent in the last couple of years, and that's really where Parnell Taylor came in was after I graduated from Loma Linda University. Uh, we just started going to the same CE events, and even though I had just graduated, I knew that there was something missing. So what happened right after you graduated? What, you, so you had an idea. You were at this humanistic-focused dental education, which is rare to begin with, and you get out of school, and what happens when you get into practice? Well, the doctor that I was working with had some severe health issues and needed to move on. So I had an opportunity to buy his practice or he was going to walk away. Okay. So six months out of school, I bought the commercial property and I bought his practice and was off and running. Okay. And was it like what you thought it'd be? You know, initially I was happy just to be busy, but eventually, because you get to see patients come back all the time, you get to see your work and if it's really performing well or not. So when it started to break down, uh, that bothered me because I have a lot of pride in my work. So I decided to pursue uh, trying to answer those questions about why my work was breaking down so quickly. Mm -hmm. And where'd you go? I went all over the place, honestly. Um... But where I settled eventually after a few years with a little bit of guidance from Parnell was trying to study occlusion, and that's what led me to OBI. Now, how did we first meet? Pretty sure that was at OBI. Were you in my level two class, or did we just meet at OBI? Do you remember? Yeah, um, it was Brian's first level two class. Uh, you are, had not started teaching that yet. Okay. Yeah, so I think you were, uh, I'm not sure what your role was at that time. Who, who was there? Who were your level two instructors? Do you remember? Other than Brian. Um, it would have been Gurner? Yeah, Gurner. It was Gurner. So you were in the last one, and Sue and I, I think, were there. Right. Because we were either finishing up our faculty path, or we were kind of meeting to talk about the level two and observe the level two and then decide what to do with it. So that's funny. And then I think shortly after I saw you at a Red Sea workshop. That's right. That was a game changer for me. Uh, I never really thought about my consulting process. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I never really had much mentorship to begin with. So that was really nice because it gave me a chance to bring the relationship side of dentistry back. And I had a chance to understand what patients really wanted. Yeah. What were you doing before? Well, it was a level one or two thing where you, okay. yeah, you walk in, tell them everything that's wrong, and they either do or they don't, and then you walk out and go to the next one. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, when we say level one, um, you know, we, we use the Schuster levels of practice, and the Schuster level one is an emergency-based care, so it's mostly uh, practice filled with patients wanting to get out of pain. And level two is the laundry list of problems and needs. Uh, which is very much of a uh, high-volume insurance-based practice, tends to be that way, but it doesn't have to be insurance-based. It can be fee-for-service, but it just happens to be a laundry list of problems that is written down in a treatment plan, and that treatment plan is presented to the patient. And it's very much operating like a pharmacist and checking off which tooth we've done and keep moving through the treatment plan. A level three practice is one where the relationship 
between the doctor and the patient and the relationship or purpose of the relationship is paramount. Why, what is important to the patient about dentistry and why are they there? And then how do we cater to that? Level four practice, we kind of term the brain surgeon. Um, I call it the journey back home. And it's the severely debilitated patient that takes a team approach to um, not only the dentistry, but usually their overall health. Um, so you had more of a level one, level two style practice. That's right. Ba- basic bread and butter dentistry, but you knew how to do a higher level of work. I, I did. I took a lot of technical courses. I really enjoy improving. Uh, I like to learn, so it was easy for me to embrace uh, quite a few different course programs. Yeah. So you came to the Red Sea, and the, one of the ways I designed the Red Sea was first to get you in a creative orientation. Okay, so that's why the whole first day is the way it is. And there's exercises and, you know, we go on a field trip, right? And we get to experience a level one, two, three, four type business and then relate it to dentistry. We've got a, so we experience the different levels. We also are in a creative orientation where we don't want to fix problems. We want to create what we want and we want to help somebody else create what they want. So then the whole next day is, not only designing that, what that would look like for you, but also then live patients coming in and interviewing them and hearing their stories and getting to interact with them and see what's possible. And then, you know, where my practice is located, which is a, um, a, a nice rural town in Missouri of about 10,000 people with uh, mostly light factory work as the income. And we do a lot of bioesthetic or... or full mouth dentistry. Uh, so the other aspect of it is if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. And I know you are. So you came to that workshop and I think that was your launching point to go to the Schuster center. Was it not? It was, uh, that was a pivotal day. Um, not only did we get to spend some time together and, and I was launched towards the Schuster center you know, I got to meet uh, Teeks and Matt and mm-hmm. Rob and Zoom. Uh, just really amazing people that I, I enjoy calling friends to this day. Yeah, that's great. I remember. I do remember the last night we were at dinner and we went around the table and we were and uh, with my electric blue shirt. Yeah, yeah. That's the famous picture. It is. That's the picture I always use, and you're in it. Yeah, that was a memorable. That was a memorable. Uh, workshop so you start this so you call dr schuster and what happens next well dr schuster uh asked my permission to come to my facility and that was really intimidating because i was aware of how accomplished of a dentist he is i was also aware of his capacity to help you learn the truth very quickly so i was a bit intimidated to have him come into my facility to say the least you knew he was going to be looking at your preps. I didn't know what he's going to do, but I was I was a little bit scared. And then he shows up, and he's just the sweetest guy ever. It was, yeah, yeah. Um, he had just had surgery on his foot. I remember that he and Laura came out. I think. Yeah, and, and then, he had the little uh, scooter for his leg. Right. Yeah. So he's there for about ten minutes, and he re- he's you know saw the way I ran things. He's like, "Well, I've seen enough. Let's go to lunch." And. 
So he didn't want to walk because of his foot issues. So uh, all of a sudden, I got to put him in my forerunner, which had about six inches of dirt on it because I go four-wheeling all the time. And for some reason, I had a spare set of boxers sitting in there right on his seat. So we had to, like, throw those out of the way. And while he jumps in, I take this man that I deeply respect uh, in my dirty <laughs> forerunner over to the restaurant. Oh, that's great. I bet he loved it. He did. That's when he started he calling me care. a cowboy and Yeah. Yeah. Well John Wayne. When did we give you the nickname Duke? Was it around that time? It was around that time. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So you go to lunch. Um, you know, we have an enrollment process we go through at the Schuster Center and usually coming to see the practice is the last piece. Uh not always, but usually it's the last piece. Because we need to you know, it's kind of like you're in the interview and somebody's telling you all this information. Well, now we got to go check it out mm-hmm. in the op. So we go and do the guided tour. Right. And we show you and you see what we see. Yeah. And then we say, well, what does health look like and what do you want? And, you know, so that's that's the lunch that he took you to. So what happened? Well, he explained the process. He said he was going to do a practice evaluation. And then I'd have some reading material and some learning material. Mm-hmm. You know, he felt like we would be a good match, and, and we are. You know, he, he knew that intuitively. So he, just, he was, uh, just set us on the path, and I think part of it is he saw a person in need, and that was been his mission and his purpose to help, is to help people like that. So when you say you were in need, what were you in need of? Well, I was in need of direction. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a pretty good skill set. But I didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know how to build relationships. You know, I I just needed some some help in that regard. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to run a business. That's for sure. Yeah, what was the business like? Pretty high overhead, lots of volume, uh, really busy, just running around all the time. My staff was tired a lot and grumpy. So was I. Mm-hmm. Because you you had a high stress level. Yep. Do you feel like you had, you know, you still would have had student loan debt, I'm assuming? I still do now. Okay, so you had student loan debt. Right. Practice debt. Right? Mortgage, commercial property, equipment. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a little over $2 million. So you got $2 million nut you're carrying. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're working your ass off, and you're stressed and tired. Is it any wonder why you couldn't form relationships with people? Yeah, that's not anywhere I mean, at it's, all. Yeah. It, when you look in the rearview mirror, and now with what you know, it's obvious. Clear as day. I just didn't know what to do with then. So how long did it take to get the money under control and uh, turn that tide? Because that's what I see. As people transcend money, the time opens up. And now it's easy to make relationships with people. You just need the right structure. Once I understood and started tracking the money, I started getting control of it much better. Mm-hmm. The Schuster model helped me see where I was overspending. And so I had a, a pivotal moment uh, one Christmas where, you know, I made uh, more collections than I ever had before, and I had almost no money in the bank. So I realized, you know, this is my problem that I created, and I need to fix it. Yeah, and part of that was the debt service then, I would assume. Right, so I had to do a lot of work with the debt service, just paying off some things and refinancing some stuff really freed up a lot of cash. Yeah, good. And, you know, what's the what's the money, the cash flow picture now? I mean, what's money like for you now? 
Honestly, I don't really think about it as much mm -hmm. because it's under control. I have a structure in place, which is creating cash flow. So uh, quite often, I just I don't really even watch that part of it. I look at my books at the end of the month, um, and I know what's happening, but it's not really something that I worry about. Yeah, I'm able to to think on other things. I'm able to devote energy to to other things. Right, because you you gave the amount of time and energy to money, and you set the structure up so the guardrails in life to uh, to get into the model that you want to be in. Yeah. Because as long as you're in that model, all that time and space stay there. The minute you're out of the model, that closes off, and now your focus becomes again on money. Right. So, so you know, once you transcend it, now you've become unconsciously competent to handle that aspect of the practice, and you transcend it. And it sounds like, too, you've got a good established team that's supporting you. Absolutely. The people on my team have been really key. And I would say that's that's one of the biggest things to realize, too. If you want to be a really great dentist, you need to do some dentistry, which means that you need to be a good leader and delegate some of these other responsibilities to people that are also highly competent. Right. Uh, it just it becomes more of a professional atmosphere is what I find when when they're sharing some of these loads, you know, and they're very vital responsibilities. So there's some trust involved in that, but and training but it really becomes an organization and not just a dental office. Right. I think it's called a learning institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so you go through, so you went through the Schuster center, you've transcended money. What has happened to your relationship with patients and the type of dentistry that you do? Well, that's a remarkable thing, particularly lately. Uh, I was able to go fee for service, which allowed me to open up my schedule and create a lot more time to spend with my patients. So I ended now, up. Now, a lot of people, with what you just said, a lot of people would fill their diapers. Because if you say, I went fee for service and now I've got more time in my schedule, because what most dentists think is, if I'm not drilling, I'm not getting paid. That's, that's not useful, productive time. What do you say to that? Uh, well, if that's what you want to do, then <laughs> go for it. I yeah. wanted to do something different. Well, how does it work out? Tell me that. If you're spending more time with people and you're not drilling on them, how does that work out? Because the relationship comes first and because we build that trust and we build that value first, when we start to propose solutions, it's with whatever their interests are. For some people, it might be full mouth rehabilitation. For other people, they just need to learn how to brush their teeth. Either way, it's a transformational experience. And with your minimally invasive techniques that you learned at the OBI Foundation, full mouth dentistry doesn't always mean 28 crowns. Absolutely, and most people are really relieved to hear that. Mm -hmm. They realize, oh, I don't have to cut my teeth down. Because you're at a mastery level. There probably isn't a patient that can walk in your office that you wouldn't feel comfortable diagnosing and treating. Uh, and with regards to their condition, no, I'm really comfortable with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's more of an issue of with, uh, their personality. Yeah. So now when you, when you hit that mastery level in dentistry, now it becomes, who do I want to work with? Right. That's it. Exactly. What patients? So what, who are the patients that you want to work with? I want to work with the ones who are really concerned about their health and are willing to change their behavior so that they become healthier. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not enough, as uh, you know, and I know you're aware of this because you and I have spent a lot of time together. It's not enough just to tell somebody what they need to do. We've got to create an experience and learning opportunities yeah. for them to choose because it's who's the most important person to know their level of health and where it's going. It's not us. It's them. It's the patient. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. So you've just completed a couple of airway residencies too. It's. I mean, it sounds like you've got the whole package. What do you? What, what would you say you're passionate about now in dentistry? Well, uh, uh, continuing to provide these transformational experiences for people. Like I said, I mean, it could be something small, but when they get it and when they start to change their behavior, when the light comes into their eyes and they start to control their health, uh, that impacts their entire life, not just their mouth. So that's where I want to be first. In terms of the technical side of dentistry, I do love doing full mouth rehabilitation, uh, but it's kind of tough to do that all the time. I've actually gotten into a situation where you start to do this repeatedly, and uh, that can be tiring too. It's kind of nice to have a mix. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, you know, my rule is one case a month. Yeah, that's perfect. And uh, it is, you know, and there have been times where, even though everybody knows that's the rule in the office, I had a case in Monday, Tuesday, break on Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, it started again. And uh, I didn't want to work the rest of the month. Yeah. It gets hard on your body. It does. Yeah. You know, to do that. And plus, you want the variety, like you say. You know, I, re- I enjoy just about every aspect of dentistry, so there's not anything I don't enjoy doing. Yeah. Uh, I remember Dr. Suster talking about how it's one of the most wonderful careers you could imagine. And I couldn't agree more now, but at one time I was seriously contemplating moving on from dentistry. That's crazy. What, what, what happened? Well, I met Dr. Suster really. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, what happened at that time that was so bad that you were considering that was it the finances? The finances were a big part of it, um, and so I pursued a couple of different management programs along with all of these other technical training, and so I increased my volume. Uh, to so work. that's what the other management programs were helping you do? Yeah. Or advocating is increasing volume? Right. So I remember distinctly, I, uh, one month I made 145000 which at the time was the best I'd ever done, and I hated it. It was rough. Yeah. And how much did you have left over? Did you have a lot left over? Or no, little? no, none. I was just like, where, where did it go? And now, what's, what's cool about this now is that you've gone through the program. There aren't that many things that are more profitable than your dental practice, are there? Yeah, I, I can't find it. <laughs> so, um, so what's next for you, would you say? I think the experience that I've had... Uh, with the Schuster Center and with the OBI Center. It's really built a lot of value for me, these two institutions. They've really had a powerful impact on on my life, and I just want to see those two institutions continue. I feel like this might be my chance to impact the world or maybe just impact a few other dentists is to to contribute and be part of those institutions. Well, anybody would be lucky to have you, and... uh... I know at the Schuster Center, absolutely we would, and I know at OBI, there's a faculty path for you that's uh, wide open, and you'd be really accepted with open arms. You know, I've seen the way you are with, with people here at the performance coach groups. You're just a, a real gift to all of us. So, yeah. That means a lot, Michael. Yeah, Thank I appreciate you. you being involved. 
you know, at, at the level that you are, and, and uh, that'd be great to see you around in other capacities. Really great. Um, so if somebody's listening to this and uh, they're new in dentistry or they're a little bit lost, what would you say are three or four milestone essential steps in your path that were just pivotal to your success? Well, number one was getting involved with the Schuster Center and then OBI. I guess that would be two. You know, those those two are really key for me. And the reason it was key is because we had to spend a lot of time understanding our value system and our mm-hmm. purpose. So, you know, what? there's a... Go ahead. Well, there's quite a bit that comes across our plate, particularly as business owners. There's a lot of people trying to attract our attention and get our money. And it's tough to make these decisions sometimes. So if you don't have a philosophy of life and how you want to run your life, then you need to get one. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reminded of the the quote, uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Right. You know, so really being clear about what your philosophy is and having that structure in place allows you much easier to make decisions. You know, we covered Schuster really well. I think there's something, though, I want to ask you about because... You know, you had taken a lot of CE, you had had other management programs, but you went to OBI. What was different about OBI than the other CE you've taken? Because there is something that I've seen a common thread with bioaesthetics. Yeah, with with OBI, well, part of what um, inspired me to go to OBI was I just finished an implant residency, and I was able to do some really wonderful things with oral surgery and implant and bone grafts and things like that. But people were coming to me, and they have uh, broken down teeth, have fractions on all of their teeth, and then you're putting in this implant on something that a system that clearly isn't working. Mm-hmm. So I honestly didn't really feel that good about doing that. So that's why I chose to go there because I felt like maybe I can figure out a little more about how the chewing system works and help these people not have problems anymore. So that was really my goal was to create a scenario in which the person who desired it could create their own personal situation in which they have very few problems, if any. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, and now it sounds like you're practicing closer to the way you were taught at Loma Linda than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And, And if I heard you correctly also, Schuster Center, OBI, the relationships you've made along the way, anything else that was pivotal in this uh, pathway to success. Yeah, I think uh, there was one more pivotal moment, uh, which had to do with understanding uh, some of my own drives and how they could compromise my satisfaction in other areas of life. So um, I really enjoy dentistry. I really enjoy working, and sometimes I get a little carried away with it. So uh, understanding that I have a need for enjoying the love of my family and creating time for them, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually given me a lot of peace just to work less. Yeah. We get back to that pinky cross, don't we? Yeah. Or the cross of life. Uh, work, play, love, and worship. And when it's out of balance, you know, we may not feel it, but our families will. Yeah, they sure do. Um, you know, and there's there's really not enough that I can say that expresses my gratitude for creating this kind of scenario. And the really neat part, honestly, is that it doesn't have to take that long. 
when I first met uh, you and, and Dr. Schuster, you see how things are run. It's just like, man, that is so much different than what I'm doing. How am I ever going to get there? There's some great things to do, some great habits to develop. You know, James Clear has a great book of Atomic Habits, and mm-hmm. part of that is just getting really well organized and starting to have a clear vision, number one, for where you're going to be going so that you can start to make some of these things happen. So the planner that we use every single day has, has been really key for me because I can break down these large, large projects and start to make some really great results happen in a short period of time. I'm still learning how to use all of it. you got quite a bit of content in that planner. Uh, One of the great things about it is that you can grow into it. It, it can be used for a person who just wants um, to track energy or just make it a day day timer but then there's also one where you can really get to learn about yourself sure you know and what's driving you and what's taking energy from you yeah tracking energy has been really pivotal for me particularly lately and i realized that if i was able to delegate some of these things that drag me down that i'm going to have a higher energy state so that's been really pivotal lately, and what I found is that uh, my ability to connect with other people has actually gotten better because I'm I'm just happier. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? You aren't the one that's sucking energy out of a room. You're giving energy, and it's expanding. Yeah. So people want to have a relationship with you. They want to talk to you. They want to listen to what you're saying because you're in a different emotional state, different energetic state. Absolutely. Uh, for example, I just finished uh, a level four. It's a full mouth rejuvenation with all of the teeth uh, elevating the vertical dimension. And uh, that same week, I was able to offer a treatment of two level threes for, for different people. And, you know, they're getting involved. It's just interesting how easily that can happen if you're in the right energy state. That's crazy. That's, you've got to feel on top of the world, knowing that you're rolling out of that and then walking into another room, same week, having some people commit to that type of treatment. Yeah, not just one, but two. I mean, and is it hard to have people commit to that type of treatment? You know, that's the surprising thing <laughs> is it's not. I, I really th- was intimidated by this uh, at the beginning because for me uh, to do a level three is somewhere around 25000 so um, I just found it intimidating at the beginning, but when you start to show people uh, what the issues are and then how we can fix them, most people uh, really don't complain about the price at all. Like, wow, that's a lot of money. But then they go and figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And when it's over? Smiles all around. Smiles all around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's great. You know, I find that... Uh, I've got a couple people that have treated and moved away, and I just love when I get a text from them and telling me how much their life is better or how it's improved, or they went to a new dentist and the dentist hasn't seen anything like that ever before. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. It's, it's, you don't realize how rare uh, in dentistry finding someone like you is or this entire performance coach community. I'm actually shocked about that, too. You know, maybe it's some negative self-talk thing that I'm still working through. But, you know, I have people coming to see me from really large cities like San Francisco. 
and they've moved to the area. They have some really complex needs, and they come to see me because of word-of-mouth referrals and that kind of thing. And you see the dentistry that's done in some really large, urban, big city, and it's it's really bad. It's complete garbage. Yeah. I think I think part of that, for us, there's not a lot of ego in this group. Yeah. You know, so we're, not only is there not a lot of ego, but there's a lot of humility. I guess in spirituality, maybe. It might be the reason that we don't view ourselves like that. But then when you step back, you know, I have the good fortune to look into a lot of practices, you know, put it up on blocks, pop the hood, right. and really look underneath. And I get to see a lot of what typical everyday dentistry is like. And it's not a pretty picture. No, it's not. You know, and that's why, you know, a lot of times I'm very eager to get back to this community and get recharged. Which was, uh, you know, the performance coach, I really feel like I made more progress with performance coach than I did in the management curriculum Mm -hmm. because of the regular feedback that I have from other master level clinicians, just master level people, if you ask me. But you get to see what they're doing all across the country, and you start to implement these things, and it works. Yeah, that's great. And you're in Dr. Schuster's group. You're in the... uh I mean, I don't know, we, we don't really have a name for it except Dr. Schuster's group, but it's kind of like, you know, the gold star group, the Eagles. Even though it's an entire flock of Eagles and performance coach, you're, you're at a different level. Maybe it's the Jonathan level. Maybe. From the Jonathan Livingston Seagull, but what's that been like? I mean, what a gift that is. Yeah, I, uh, I feel really blessed to spend a little more time with Dr. Schuster. So the, the material that he brings to the table really forces you to think about uh, your life on on a little bit of a higher level. So instead of just the nuts and bolts of running a business, you know, getting in tune with your value system honestly has helped me become motivated to work on this next transition for me, which is moving away from my highly profitable practice and starting another one. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. Was this easy? It was easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did great. So that's going to be it for us here at the Hermosa Inn in Paradise Valley. And um, I hope you enjoyed today. If you wanted to call Dr. Oberholzer and uh, speak with him at all or reach out to him, uh, be a patient at his practice even, where would they reach you? Well, I have a uh, wonderful website, SkylineFamilyDental.com, and we uh, our office phone number is 760-873-6513. All right, thank you.